Welcome to Dragon Talk, ladies and gentlemen. We are the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast, and it is snowing still here in Seattle. This is getting old. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Shelly Moo over the course of the internet. That's right. We're going remote Dragon Talk on the road. We are not Actually, the opposite. We're on the road. We're in the house. We're not in allowed the on the roads. <laughs> They're full of slush and, and hopefully melting sooner than, rather than later. It has been crazy amounts of snow. How many, how many inches do you think you got on, uh, in your neighborhood? We measured yesterday before the, the snowfall that came in the afternoon, and we were, we were already at nine inches. Mm-hmm. And so it probably got like three more inches yesterday. I don't know. I, I would guess it was probably a, a foot all told. Throughout this whole snow apocalypse, I want to say we've gotten like 18 inches over the course of the whole time here, and some of it's melted down and, and been compacted. But then, yeah, that yeah, was a lot. Are you counting the first snowstorm from a week I w- ago? I was counting the first snowstorm. Oh yeah, then I would say you're right. We're probably around a foot and a half. It's crazy. That is crazy time. That is, there, this is not Seattle. This is more snow than I've seen in the five years I've been here. Probably more snow than I've seen in the last you know 10 years of my life. Well, yeah, yeah probably. I definitely I don't remember having this much snow or this often. Usually it's like a storm and yeah. then it freezes and then it warms up and it's over and we all forget about it. But to have this many back to back to back to back, it's just it's not it's just not the Seattle I used to know and love. It's kind of amazing. Um, I, I've, I've been able to play D&D a couple of times in the you snow, did. which is awesome. Uh, I sent it out to my uh, list of folks who are within walking distance, uh, most of them. And, uh, oh, they, they must all, have they been all, so excited. They all played last night. I was surprised. I thought everyone would be like, oh, no, I can't do it because of the snow. But nope, they were into it. That's awesome. Yeah, it was fun. Um, and uh, we got to record an amazing interview uh, a few days ago, right when the yep. snow... Uh, the, well, the second wave of snow was about to drop uh, with Michael Mallon, uh, otherwise known as the ID DM. Uh, and it was a, a wonderful conversation about, um, you know, what it's like to be a, uh, you know, uh, battling the demons is, is how we've put it in the interview. Um, it's, it's not easy out there. No, it's not. Uh, and uh, so he was very uh, forthcoming about his experience uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons with his brother, uh, and uh, how his brother, uh, you know, took his own life, and and uh, how he's still dealing with the grief of that. Uh, you know, less than a year later, uh, it was very very uh, important discussion, uh, and it it meant a lot, I think, to 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 me and to him uh, to be able to to have that conversation in, yeah. in the forum. And I'm glad that he's having these conversations, and he's having them openly and and publicly and he's he's a a very good resource for people who are struggling with with similar issues and his whole um the whole point that he tries to make is that these are conversations we should be having openly so yeah fully support that it's really hard uh to destigmatize against uh you know talking about this type of thing so i thought it was very important for us as well uh to to talk about it uh, for that reason so uh you know for those of you who are um you know struggling with any kind of uh uh, mental illness or depression uh we do go into a lot of issues but i think it's still very important for for people to to listen to uh even if they aren't um you know or don't think they are suffering from uh any of these things uh because that's part of the the message is that there's there's folks that are 
suffering with them from this that you don't even know, uh, and 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 they are hiding it from from their their folks because of the stigma that arises about it. So, right. um, you know, give it a listen if you can. But of course, uh, if if it's something that uh, would not uh, work for your own mental health, uh, you know, feel free to skip that. But of course, we do have. Um, an amazing segment uh, before that. Uh, it was recorded in Shelley's house uh, in Bart Carroll's office yes. uh, with Mr. Chris Perkins, uh, who trudged a half hour all the way to uh, to your house to record it. Yeah, he uh, walked over. Good thing was, we're all local in the same neighborhood. That's true. We took advantage of uh, West Seattle being the place for D&D uh, yep. here in this area. Our um, it was pretty cool. Uh, but before we get to that segment, uh, is there any other fun news you want to throw out there, Shelley Moo? I know about a certain online game that might be happening. That's very exciting. You should be excited about this as I an really Axis and Allies player. That's uh, right. Friends at Beamdog have announced that they are doing Axis and Allies online. Online. Heading into early access on Steam really soon. So definitely check out... Um, either the Avalon Hill Facebook page or with Beamdog's Facebook page or Beamdog's website for more information on, on how you can get into that. But it's very, very cool. Um, if you've never played Access and Allies, this is a great time to get started. There, there is AI involved or you can hook up with your friends and play wherever you want to. And you don't have to spend a lot of time setting up the game, which I think is really cool. <laughs> That's right. A lot of the little plastic pieces uh, take a long time to set up as yeah. you can attest from doing a lot of uh, uh, access and eyes and zombie testing. Yes, I'm pretty good at it, but it would be real nice just to turn on the computer and start playing. Uh, and what I like about the uh, interface that Beamdog has put together is that you can have a bunch of multiple games going. It's kind of like yeah. um, when I uh, when I used to play a lot of chess online, I would have like 10 or 12, you know, open chess games at any moment. And, you know, when a person made a move, you would go in and make your move back. But it was like this asynchromatic uh, yeah. type of play. And that's what Access Downloads Online is all about. It's, it's You can make your move. You can, um, uh, you know, wait for if you're playing online with uh, other people, you know, they will have their their time to to make their move. Uh, if you're playing against the AI, of course, you know, you can always uh, skip through it a little bit faster. Um, but I appreciated both of those, you know, playing against people as well as AI uh, when you're when we, I was helping test out this this game. It's good stuff. Yeah. Yep. Good. Good. Glad you like it. Check it out when it hits the early access if you can. Yep. It's very very exciting. Sure. Uh, so uh, that is all. Who's breathing into the mic? Is that me or is that you? That's not me. It's totally Ryan, isn't it? There's someone else here. <laughs> it's a specter. He's breathing into the mic. I've been watching a lot of Goosebumps lately because, you know, I've been home with Quinn for like six days and he loves yeah. Goosebumps. Do you ever watch it? No, no. My girls are too scared of it. Oh my God, that little mannequin Slappy. <laughs> Slappy? That's his name. And that thing is so creepy. And we talk about Slappy all the time because Quinn's like, I don't think he's scary. I think he's handsome. <laughs> handsome? Oh my god! I think it is not handsome. I it is totally, totally your mic. Uh, I think it's when you're, it's when you're um, nose laughing. It goes into. <laughs> 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 all right. Well, that's the dangers of of, of recording a podcast without all of the uh, amazing. No mic- bells and whistles. Exactly. We got uh, uh, you know kids' desks and uh, artwork behind us. It's it's well. Crazy. You say nose laughing. I say it's slappy. <laughs> it's slappy is making it happen. Yes. I believe it. 
Uh, well, let it, us throw it to, I, I don't, I wish I had more Dungeons and Dragons news to throw out there. I know there's been tons of talk about, uh, the upcoming storyline we have not officially announced yet. It is coming soon, but so if, much speculation. if you're interested in finding out more about it, I'd say you go watch, uh, spoilers and swag on, uh, our D and D Twitch channel. It's twitch.tv slash D and D. The most recent episode with Nathan Stewart and Kate Welch um, threw out a lot of stuff, including two preview pages for an adventure that is not yet even announced. So go check it out if you're interested there. A lot of people have been posting stories about that, which we appreciate. Um, but the real announcement is yet to come. Uh, and I'm, I'm enjoying being along for this ride and seeing how much Nathan is going to spoil. Yeah, you put all that that effort into these communications plans and timing and... Nathan's just going to go do his own thing anyway. It's true. It's true. And But we appreciate that because I think that's, uh, you know, it drives excitement, right? Yeah, right? Yes. Right? Yes. That's the messaging we want to get out there. All right. You guys are uh, awesome as always. I've seen a lot of people sharing uh, about uh, the most recent Dragon Talk episode with Devin Rue. Uh, I appreciate all of it out there. Get the word out as much as you can uh, about even more stuff uh, with this episode. And uh, uh, yeah, let's throw it to our fun lore you should know. Uh, okay. Which one should we do? Let's do the one about um, Sahu again. Let's listen to that one. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know, where we dive into little bits of Dungeons & Dragons lore and tell you all about them so that you can use them in your game. Uh, this is Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Mr. Chris Perkins. Hi there. We are recording this during the snowpocalypse in Seattle at Shelley Mazenoble's house in Bart Carroll's little man cave, and it's pretty amazing. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I'm sitting on the floor. <laughs> it's, we're like a little clubhouse. I love it. Uh, there's D&D accoutrements and G.I. Joe accoutrements everywhere. So it's a, it's a wonderful mix. Um, but today we are going to talk about uh, Sahuigan, uh, the creatures of the depths. Other, I, I've heard them referred to as the devils of the sea. Is that uh, an apt nickname yes, for them? They are, they are canonically referred to as the sea devils or the devils of the deep. Devils of the deep. Ooh, that's yes. Even, it's got alliteration going on there. Exactly. And they're called that because they're evil and they kind of have a diabolical look to them they're uh they're green bipedal fish men mm -hmm. with spines coming off their heads and fins and webbed feet and hands Ugh. and so tails they have tails spiky tails when when do they first appear when when are they in the first edition yes they first showed up in the first edition monster manual Oh wow! Okay, so yeah. when were they used in adventures a lot back then, or were they, you know, delved into later? They hadn't been used in adventures until about 1982 ish. Mm -hmm. uh, 81 to 83 was when a series of adventurers, adventures called the Underwater series, aka the U series, <laughs> very imaginative, was released, and yeah. it started with an adventure called the Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh. The second adventure in the series was Danger at Dunwater, and the final adventure of the series was called The Final Enemy, and that's when the threat of the Sahuagin was revealed. Ah. And so they really appeared for the first time in that adventure. That's cool. Um, and how would they differ from other underwater monsters, most 
probably the Kuatoa might be the 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 group of monsters that might uh, be confused with Sahugan the most. Yeah, Kuatoa are more uh, they they are residents of the Underdark, so they live in subterranean caves, whereas the Sahugan live in open water. Oh, they, I see. They dwell in temperate coastal waters and also deep waters. So m- more people of uh, that live on the surface would experience uh, Sahugan way more than they would Kuatoa. Yes, and they would normally experience them because Sahugan will come in waves and attack coastal communities. They'll mm. rise up out of the sea and uh, take food back with them into the depths. Are they, uh, you know, region-based? Are they only kind of around, like you said, in temperate areas? Or are they u- ubiquitous throughout temperate areas? Do they have, like, colonies that they only, you know, stay in? Or could anyone experience them on any coastline? You can pretty much put them on any coastline. Uh, canonically speaking, they favor uh, waters in temporal in temperate regions as opposed to tropical. Mm. So the colder, colder waters are better for them. And their kingdoms are typically low kingdoms and baronies are typically located deep, deep, deep underwater on the ocean floor. Oh, so they, they organize in, in, in kingdoms and, and that type of uh, feudal systems. Yeah, basically. And so Sahugan are worshipers of a shark god named mm. Sekala. And the Sekala manifests as a gigantic shark. Ooh. And because of their affinity for Sekala and their worship of Sekala, Sahugan have special close ties with sharks and use sharks as watchdogs and to help them hunt. What about mounts? Do they ever mount the sharks and use they them could. in battle? Yeah, they absolutely could. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, they also like to attack ships that pass overhead. So you have to be wary about Suhugan climbing aboard your vessel. Right. Uh, yeah, so do sailors have a specific uh, hatred of Suhugan and or yes. uh, fear, fear of them? Absolutely. Um, how have, they, have, they, have, have sailors in fantasy worlds dealt with any uh, strategies for, for, you know, are, are there customs or charms to keep Suhugans away, that type of thing? No, you just got to watch out for them when they show up. And Suhugan are dangerous because not only do they use weapons that they manufacture, they also have claws and teeth mm. and, and like to just tear their prey to pieces. Oh, God. In fact, within Suhugan society, they are very aggressive even toward each other. Mm. The, the weak get culled. And they have these blood sports where they basically tear into each other with their jaws and claws. And then whoever survives, you you get to be a captain or whatever, you know. Right. Yeah. Or you just get to live. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the, the reward that anyone yeah. could wish for. Now, within Suhuagan society, uh, there the strong sur- the strong lead. So the bigger the Suhuagan you are, probably the closer you are to a leadership role. But they also have priests. Or actually, female Suhugan typically fulfill the role of priests, priests mm-hmm. priestess, whatever you want to call them. They are servants of Sekala and kind of like the stewards of the kingdom. Uh, above and beyond that, one of the coolest things about Suhugan is that they are very susceptible to mutation. Oh. There are two good examples in the history of the game. One... Some Suhuagin will sprout extra limbs. Yeesh. And so you get the uh, particularly large four-armed Suhuagin varieties. Ooh. 
and they often rise to become barons or captains or otherwise leaders. It doesn't become a uh, a hindrance to them. They actually the, they can use all four limbs equally well. They can use well. all four limbs equally well. It is a hindrance to them when they're young because when mm. they're young, they're seen as being aberrant. But after they tear their way through the competition, <laughs> they're given a elevation, as it were. They've got that many more claws to exactly. be able to, to tear you apart. Right. In, in the blood sports, they just absolutely rule. Uh, they, they beat the two-armed Sahugan to death. Ugh. Then the other mutation is particularly weird, and that is there about one in maybe several hundred Sahuagin will be born with the mutation of looking like a sea elf. Oh. That is to say, they don't even look like Sahuagin. They're, they're born out of their, hatched out of their eggs, and they look like sea elves. These Suhuagan are called Malenti. Mm. And Malenti are used as spies to infiltrate sea elf society. Oh, gross. Yeah. And nobody really knows why this freakishly bizarre mutation occurs. Uh, but Malenti are quickly taken into protective custody by the priestesses and used as these infiltrators. So uh, was, that, was that developed through someone writing an adventure that that included and then they kind of got adapted into you know just a mutation that occurs yeah we don't actually see malenti getting much use until um there was a forgotten realm series of novels came out that focused on undersea in the mm. sea of fallen stars area i believe and the malenti played a key role in the novels as an infiltrator and i think since then they've sort of gained some traction mm. So how would you use that as a, how would you use Sue Hooligan in general as a, as a dungeon master in, in, in your games? Well, I would, you could go the way of the U series where um, it starts off with you dealing with pirates and other nautical themed stuff. And only later do you realize that a lot of the things that are happening are the result of the Sue having moved into the area and threatened a bunch of other monsters and things like that. Mm. So they can, they can be used as sort of an ultimate, uh, bad guy threat where you have to go in and basically drive them away from whatever lair they have near the coast because they're threatening pirate ships, because they're threatening coastal towns. Just the wonderful thing about them in, in uh, Module U3 is that part of their lair is underwater. Mm. So you have to fight these guys underwater in their native environment. It's very, very dangerous because they can attack you from above or below or whatever. They're used to de- fighting in that area from their blood sports, and most adventurers are not. Yes. Yeah. Other than that, having them come up and attack your ship is good. Uh, if you have a campaign based in Waterdeep, there may be a season where they become particularly aggressive and they come into the harbor and attack the dock ward. And the only way to stop them is to basically follow them back to their undersea domain and mm-hmm. destroy them. Do they often uh, attack large settlements like, like Waterdeep? They're pretty fearless, so they could, yes. Mm. And especially if they, the priestesses or, or something, this, is, this attack is blessed by their god. Exactly. You know, a thick fog rolls in, settles over the city. So who can come up? They gain surprise. They start raiding and pillaging. Everybody's just freaking out. By the time people muster any sort of defense, they've already retreated back into the briny depths with whatever treasure and prisoners they have. Do they often take prisoners? 
They do, but their prisoners usually drown. Uh, it's for the meat, though. They, they oh. like the meat. But if they steal something like a holy relic out of a temple or some other treasure off a ship, you may have to go back down into their domain to get it if it's particularly valuable. Because mm. Suhugan love to amass treasure. Like a, like a dragon. Like they just like having as much treasure as possible. Yeah, they, and they just pile it around altars and other, you know, in vaults that they keep in their undersea domains. Makes sense. Um, you mentioned the fog rolling in, so I'm like, is, is it that a, uh, do they use stealth a lot in their attacks or are they just as aggressive and just attack you no matter what? They could be either. Okay. Yeah. It depends on the, the commander. Are they, are they intelligent, uh, in, in tactics and things like that? Or are they yes. brute force? Okay. Yeah. They're very, they're very intelligent or at least average human intelligence. Um, but very cunning in their strikes. Um, preying on other creatures is kind of their thing. So they've gotten really good at it. Would there be a um, uh, like a leader, like a charismatic leader that would have a troop of them, or are they more everybody attack? You know, let's not worry about it type thing. They have lead. They have a hierarchy. Um, being lawful evil, there's a hierarchy within Sahuagan society, and they adhere to that. So there might be a big four armed baron who's leading the attack. The leaders tend to be pretty fearless. I'm going to sneeze. So who again? Yeah, <laughs> cat allergies. They're gonna. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, they and so their leaders are just in there, leading the way. They want to be part of the carnage. They want to be part of the aggressive assault. Got it. Uh, wow. All right. So uh, these they sound pretty terrifying uh, yeah. in general. Uh, the devils of the deep are are well named. Um, so I'm hoping uh, more folks uh, can can experience using them in their game. They sound like they're a uh, uh, an evil entity, uh, you know, out there. So you're you're never going to potentially convert a Sahu again into uh, into worshiping Lathander, for example. Probably not. No. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and now I want to have Sahu again riding sharks uh, and uh, attacking all my ships in the future. <laughs> And congratulations on pronouncing it correctly, because it's not the easiest word to say. <laughs> I have Matt Mercer to thank uh, for okay. doing the um, pronunciation guides on D&D Beyond. Got it. That was where I, I, I played that one. I was like, wait, that's how you say it? Yeah. So uh, Liz Shu pronounces them Sahuligans. <laughs> I love that. Which I kind of like, yeah. I do. I do. I love that. Uh, so watch out for the Sahuligans in uh, your D&D adventure uh, coming up pretty soon. Uh, thanks as always, Chris. What? Uh, how can people get in touch with you and ask you more about these Devils of the Deep? I am on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. Awesome, and uh, we'll be back with some more fun lore and or sage advice segments uh, next week. Thanks a lot. Oh man, uh, that was really fun recording that Lori Shino episode with Chris Perkins in Bard Carroll's office. That was yep. fun stuff. Uh, I hope it place. sounded. Oh, did you oh. guys hear that? No. Okay, good. I heard one of those messages uh, that I'm glad is not going to be on the podcast. Uh, oh, man, we are doing this DIY. This is old it was school. A, I'm missing a meeting. I think the meeting actually said it's a Dragon Talk recording that's coming up. That I oh, I got one of those, too. Yeah. Exactly. 
Uh, it is amazing uh, that we are able to do this all over the interwebs, uh, not in our studio, but I am going to be happy to be back uh, uh, where I can see you uh, in the same room, right, Shelly? I know. It'll be so much nicer. And we can um, see Brian. Exactly. We'll give high fives to Pelham along Pelham. the way. Exactly. Um, but I want to uh, now have you guys listen to our interview with Michael Mallon, the IDM. Uh, and again, you know, we go into some issues here uh, about um, uh, suicide and depression and anxiety. Uh, but I think it's an important discussion and uh, I'd love for you all to listen and uh, hopefully you know, take, some, take something away from it. We have Mr. Michael Mallon joining us today. How's it going, Michael? It's going wonderfully. Thank you. How are you doing? Pretty good. Uh, Shelly and I are prepping for the snow to fall all over Seattle area. All over. Ice chunks falling from the sky. <laughs> yeah, right. Someone cast ice storm uh, for reals. <laughs> Um, but we are excited to talk to you. Uh, you're known as the the ID DM, uh, and you have a, a, a very cool podcast. Which I, I you know was thankful enough to be invited as a guest. Ego check with the ID DM. So thank you for that. Oh. Yes, thank you for coming on. Um, and yeah, we're excited to talk to you uh, about you know your experience with playing Dungeons and Dragons, as well as uh, you know the idea of of, of getting the word out about. Uh, suicide prevention and how to talk about issues that many players that I know of, uh, you know, battle uh, and and uh, and deal with. So uh, not just the monsters in Dungeons and Dragons, but actual, you know, demons like inside that. us in a way. Uh, so yeah, um, let's start off by talking about what it was like, uh, you know, your first session of playing Dungeons and Dragons. What what, what was it like? Yeah, and I also just wanted to mention that. It's been funny living in Minnesota here the last seven years, seeing the greater Seattle area respond to some snow, which is, yeah. it's, hey, it's we have funny. I grew up in New Jersey. Snow so, plows. Yeah. I grew up in upstate New York. Greg grew up on the, um, in Connecticut. In Connecticut, right. So, so the idea know, of four, four inches coming is kind of crazy, but uh, um, it, We have just, hills. We have 35 snow plows. Can I ask a question? A, sure. Yeah. Uh, is everyone like rushing to the grocery store to oh, buy their milk? Michael, you have no idea. <laughs> there, Not I just went. Milk. <laughs> oh well, some of us have our different different beverage of choice. But I did go yesterday. Stock up on wine. It yes, was exactly. crazy. I mean, like yes. nobody was fighting over loaves of bread, but because there was none, that section was decimated. Uh, I don't know why everybody always buys bread for a storm, but. They do like milk and eggs lines to the back of the store. I had to walk almost to the end of the parking lot to, on like the corner of a busy street to find a shopping cart because there were none in the store. It's Lord of the Flies out there. <laughs> it was kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a perfect storm in a way because there's been so much public, uh, publicizing of this snowstorm. Yeah, it's got well, a name. It has a name now. What's the name? Maya. Maya? Yeah. Oh. I mean, in Minnesota, it's just called winter. It's called Tuesday. <laughs> we actually <laughs> right. our stars, our storms. So Maya is coming. Get ready. Oh, no. Good, good no. luck with Maya. I know. Well, and, you have a snowplow. We saw your nice, clear driveway. We haven't even cleared yes. our driveway from Monday. <laughs> I was out there with the snowblower last night. I think we got about five, six inches yesterday. Oh, it's nothing. Just, 
snowblow that, go to work, and people just continue to to move on with their lives. And meanwhile, my family on the East Coast is asking me, why do you live there? Why does anybody live (laughs) there? Why are you living there? So that's a good question. So I originally came out here for graduate school. I am a licensed psychologist. um, So that plays into some of the things I want to talk about today. I went to the University of Minnesota uh, way back in 98 to 2000 and was in Iowa for my doctoral degree, worked in Texas for seven years. And then I've been back up here in Minnesota uh, since this is where I met my wife. So we're celebrating our 15 year anniversary later this year. So that's exciting. Whoa. Congratulations. That's great. Yes. And to get back to your original question, Greg, about my first exposure to D and D. I had, (laughs) I had originally been exposed to the game as a young child growing up in New Jersey I had two older siblings and my, my older brother, his friends, very much into sports, big athletes, always playing football, basketball, wiffle ball, all that, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then from time to time, like he had some friends who are more, I guess, if you've seen Stranger Things, basically oh, yeah. Bill, Billy from Stranger Things, like some of his friends were that guy who oh. were into hard rock, metal music, listen to Iron Maiden, and were just uh, very, very interesting characters. But they also played D&D. And sometimes they would play D&D in our, in our den. And I was, you know, five years younger or so than my brother, and I just always would want to get in in the game. And of course, they're like, no, get out of here, kid. You're not allowed to, you're not allowed to play. So I had been, you know, harassing them for, I'm sure, weeks. All, time's a bit of a blur. Um, but they finally let me play. So I was all excited. I rolled up a fighter. I don't remember the fighter's name. Um, I want to say it was something like Xavier or something like that. So I rolled up the fighter. I was all excited. We get into a, a, a combat pretty quickly in some cave and I'm a fighter. So monsters show up. I all excited. I run up to the monster, roll some dice. And then one of the other players, one of the ranged people threw a flask of oil, which shattered everywhere on the monster, but also me. Mm. And me being young, I didn't see what was about to happen. Aww. So another player threw a, a lit torch. Everything goes up <gasps> on fire, including me. And I died. That, oh, this is heartbreaking. That quickly. So I think I got to play for about 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and they were very, they're like, oh, sorry, your, your character died. So the rest of us are going to play. You can watch. Oh, and, and it was just like, wah, wah. Um, so it didn't traumatize me for life. <laughs> I, 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 st- I still remained interested in, in playing the game, but that was my first exposure to D&D, the, the wild swings of emotions that can come from playing the game. The ups and downs. So yeah, how old were you? Time. How old were you when, when you joined them? So I'm guessing this is somewhere around the age of 10, 11 Okay. Somewhere around there. So, so quite young, <laughs> quite impressionable. Uh, <laughs> and didn't understand how oil burns. <laughs> you know, I, I learned so much from that one session. <laughs> so that's always true. That's funny. I actually had a similar uh, uh, first test. It was with an older group of, of guys. I started working at a restaurant and I knew that one of them had played fantasy games. Uh, and I always wanted to try D&D. So I joined them. They were from a town over. So I didn't really know any of them at all but I was definitely the young person in joining these like older high schoolers. And it was kind of the opposite problem where I was trying to do really good. There was a, 
um, you know, they got into a fight pretty quickly and I was a ranger. So mm-hmm. I was trying to shoot a guy who was in melee with the, the big bad guy, who I think was a minotaur. And uh, I was like, oh, great. I'll finally get to shoot this, this thing. The, the, the like, you know, leader of the group was, was fighting them. And my arrow, I got a I rolled a one. And I ended up hitting oh. the DM rule that I hit uh, uh, hit the uh, my my teammate, my you know the the oh, leader no. of the group. And I was like, "Oh crap! I'm so sorry." You know, what are the chances of me doing that? That's so bad. Uh, and then it gets to my turn again, and I'm like, "All right, well, lightning can't strike twice. I'll do it again." I hit him again. I rolled <gasps> another one, and ended up doing enough damage to kill my oh, own. No, this wow. was my first session as like this little kid joining you know, this thing. And so the opposite was that that guy, you know, was taken out of that fight and he had to like watch for the rest of the game. And he was like, you know, the nominal like leader of this group. That wasn't his first time playing? That was not, no, no. He, he's oh, been playing okay. with this yeah. group of, of play, you know, friends forever. So he got <laughs> taken out by a kid. He got taken out by me. Wow. Too. And then, you know, I, 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 you know. And now you work for D&D. That's amazing. <laughs> right. And yeah, honestly, rub it in his face now. Was never asked back to join that, that game group for some you, reason. I wonder what it was. You were bad at D&D. <laughs> right. You were bad at it. You, I know, you but roll I felt poorly. Very impressionable as well yeah. uh, at that time. I was a little bit older. I think I was... Uh, you know, 15 or 16, maybe not because I was definitely in high school uh, working. So, you know, still not as young as you, but uh, I'll always remember that shame of rolling a natural one twice in a row. What, what are the chances though? Seriously. I don't know. Someone who knows math can be like, it's one in three million. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, what was, so what yes. was the second time that you got to play D&D? So I think the second time was probably a few years later because I think that group of friends from my brother, they were all still very much together, but they were like late grade school, going into high school, much more into sports. So I think I had gotten their books because they had no use for them. And then I was starting to play with my friends. I would run games. I remember giving out way too many magic items way too quickly. (laughs) It was so overpowered. Um, So I remember just playing with friends, playing modules, like keep on the borderlands and uh, like that era of, of gaming. And we would play for sometimes hours on the weekend. One of my brother's friends around the time I was getting near high school, he would uh, join the game because he just had those sensibilities like to play and would uh, we'd sit there for hours just making up stuff, which was fun. Um, And then I kind of took a long break from the game until fourth edition came out when listening to the the Penny Arcade PvP podcast. Oh, yep, yep. Those were so entertaining, and it just reminded me of what I loved about uh, D&D and getting together with friends. And that's what motivated me to start writing for my blog. I started writing uh, at the idm.wordpress.com, a uh, cheap plug, uh, where... <laughs> <laughs> I started writing about fourth edition because at the time there was this conversation about combat speed and mm. it was just a lot of, it was like right when a lot of blog articles in the community were, were bubbling up and I just being a psychologist, being a researcher, I said, well, there's no data for me to look at. So let me get some data. And I wrote these articles using the podcasts that were published by D and D as, well, that's my data set. And I timed turns and created graphs. And it was this very nerdy endeavor that I spent quite a bit of time on. Mm-hmm. And I, I posted it and it got some traction and it gave me a little bit more motivation to keep writing from that perspective. 
So I've been writing since 2011, uh, a lot of articles about D&D, but from my background as a psychologist. So talking about group dynamics, player motivations, including uh, advice from a DM perspective of how to engage players, how to um, you know, monitor what's going on at the table, who's engaged, who's not, and things like that. It's been a, it's been a fun hobby. And then several years ago, I started a podcast where I would interview folks like Greg and uh, just kind of learn about uh, your roles, different people in the community, designers, writers. Um, sometimes it goes outside of D&D where I've talked about talked to designers from like different video games, which has been fun. So really been open to meeting new people and just it's been a great hobby to really invest myself into. That's super cool. Yeah. And if, I, if nothing else is remembered from, from fourth edition, it, I, I, to me, it's this uh, wealth of people who joined that kind of blogging community. Yes. Uh, I remember that. Right. Like there was just this, this, this proliferation of so many voices and you being, you know, uh, a big part of that. Um, that just wanted to, to talk through their mechanics and things and choices that were made. Yeah. And it was, you know, coincided with a lot of technology finally catching yes. up with, with the community, you know, and then we've kind of seen that similar tack in the last you know couple of years about streaming and video and, and how that much has become, you know, kind of superseded some of the written stuff that was happening on, in, in blogger and forms like that. But, you know, fourth edition era will always be that time where I was like, whoa, you get to hear, you know, there's almost democratization of, of, of fandom about, you know, what it's like to play D&D around that time. So cool that, cool that you were a part of that. Yeah. Um, and it gave you an outlet for, for being able to talk about, uh, uh, you know, the tragedy that happened in, uh, in, in 2017. Yes. Yeah, so one of the reasons that I'm really excited to, to be on the show, and I, I appreciate you giving me a chance to talk about this, Mm-hmm. Is you know I had mentioned my brother as kind of an introduction to to D and D. I had played the game first through, through his friends, and one of the things I wrote about on my blog was uh, you know my brother ended his life by suicide in June of 2017, and that was an incredibly traumatic loss for myself, my family, his orbit of coworkers and friends and acquaintances, which was rather large, wow. and. It was one of those things where I had and still have uh, quite a bit of grief about that. And there's days where it's sad or I'm angry or there's times when I laugh thinking about something that, you know, we did together or he did. So it, it's never going to end. I, my friend had once described grief as almost like waves or tides. It's, yeah. uh, you know, it's going to be there and swallow up everything from time to time and then it recedes. And then it comes back and, you know, there's some things where you kind of expect it to come back like anniversaries. And there's other times where it just something you hear a song or see a piece of art Mm. or a conversation and it it just comes flooding back. You know, one of the things I wrote last year is after I saw a star is born, I not to get into spoilers, but that movie just hit some nerves Mm. that were very powerful for me. And I felt compelled to to write about it because Even in my clinical work with patients, I think writing this idea of externalizing, getting thoughts and uh, emotions out, putting them in the paper or typing them on a keyboard has a good, a good cleansing or healing effect. So I was kind of in a weird headspace after seeing that movie, but then I wrote this article and I felt better. Like I still have all those emotions, but they made sense yeah. to me. I had organized them. So 
the the blog's been an outlet for things like that as well. In addition to um, the the gaming articles I've been writing, and a way I combined those things was leading up to the first anniversary of my brother's suicide. So this would be June of 2018. We had decided to release a book for charity. So this was something I was working on with Limitless Adventures, limitless-adventures.com. Mm-hmm. The gentleman who runs, or is one of the gentlemen who runs that site is Andy Hand. He's been on my podcast before. And I had, over the years, really in fourth edition, had written up these highly detailed monsters. Uh, back in the day when it was fun to put together stat blocks and come up with unique powers and create monsters. And that was something I dove into. I think the first one I put together was trying to brainstorm how you could turn Bayonetta into a fourth edition monster. Like how, <laughs> could you, how could you make combos work with a monster? So we had all, I had this material that had been sitting there for years and I wanted to update it, put the monsters into fifth edition and Andy helped me with that. And I wasn't quite sure how to package it. And then we came up with the idea of like, well, let's just say everything goes to charity. That way it's not like we're trying to self-promote or you know, get money from people. So we created the book. It has wonderful art from an illustrator, Grant Gould, who's worked for Lucasfilm and Tops in the past. So the art's fantastic. The layout looks good. And it's 10 highly detailed monsters you could use for a fifth edition campaign. And it's five bucks. And every penny of that five bucks goes to American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And so far, we between donations and selling the book, We've raised over $3,000 in Fantastic. recent months, which is just awesome. I've been blown away by the response from the community. Yeah. And it, around the first anniversary of his death, gave me something to channel that grief into. Right. And again, it's been good for my mental health and physical well-being. And I like to think that it's doing something positive in the community of bringing these topics up because it is hard to talk to people about depression and anxiety and suicide. So I'm trying to, trying to put that out there, even like this opportunity today. Yeah. And I think that's why we were excited to have you on to do that too, is because, you know, it's, it's even, and we were discussing stuff, uh, you know, leading up to this interview, I, you know, you could probably sense a little bit of trepidation on my part as like how to approach this in a way that would be, Mm sensitive and uh, eventually i just kind of was like well you know talking about it in any way is yeah. is important you know and i see that more and more on you know social media in the in the D community especially of, of folks who are very vocal about uh how they feel and and you know and especially when they don't feel good you know yes. i think there's a, mm-hmm. a lot of the temptation in social media to be like everything's great everything's fine uh and and you know i see a lot more honesty and uh, introspection about people's own emotional well-being happening, uh, you know, publicly. And I think that's great. And I want to just continue to, to talk through this because I think, you know, as you know, as a, as a clinical psychologist, talking through your feelings is a big part that would prevent, you know, more, more yeah. tragedies like this. And reaching out to people, which is what a lot of people are doing. Yeah. Before it would right. be like, don't, you know, hide that, keep that to yourself. Don't air your dirty laundry. Don't talk about that stuff. Mm-hmm. But to actually see people feeling comfortable to say like, Hey, I'm not okay. And it's okay to not be okay. You know, right. putting it out there. It's been, it's been really good to see. And another yeah. thing, Michael, when I was reading through some of your blog posts that I really appreciated was the way you describe your brother is, you know, somebody who has a very loving supportive family. 
and he had lots of friends and he had coworkers that, that appreciated him and, and, and loved him too. And, but yet he still battled these demons. And that's to me that there is a, a bit of a stereotype around people who choose to take their own lives. And it's that they're alone or that they don't have this network right. of support. And very clearly that is, that is not true. So, I mean, just, I love the way that, that you, you talked about him because it really, it showed that to be very, very crystal clear. And I appreciate you saying that. It is one of those myths that I think maybe gives people comfort is that, well, the people who commit suicide are, are different. They're not, they're not people I know, or it's not a friend or a relative. It's someone who's alone, who's quote unquote, a loser, who is like really falling on hard times and doesn't have support, who wears black all the time. Like there's all these myths that we have about what depression and suicide is. And I wanted to be clear about that writing about my brother. We had such a intense relationship, partially home from the fact that our father, uh, when I was eight, he was a, he was a few years older. He was a state trooper who was shot and killed in the line of duty when we were children. Oh gosh. we kind of went through that traumatic experience together as a family. And I think that made me, well, I know it made me look up to him as a father figure. And I think he was, we were both aware of that. So we were close enough in age where, because it was about four and a half years, but there was always that distance. Like I was never going to catch him and his friends. And that was something I remember growing up with, even that story about how I first played D&D. Like I always wanted to be where they were. Right. And when I got closer, they got older. <laughs> I can never catch yeah. them. <laughs> My uh, funny story is he would, they would play wiffle ball in our backyard and they would say, oh, well, this year just catch fly balls. You can play next year. And I was like, all right, fine. And this went on for about five years where they just never, like, yeah, next year we'll let you play. Um, <laughs> but my brother had a very big life. He's a big personality. Uh, he was the stellar high school athlete. He was recruited by any number of colleges to play quarterback. Like he was that guy. Right. And, you know, he went to college and kind of things didn't work out as well there. But then he became a professional firefighter and he was a firefighter for 20 years. And he just thrived in that community with a bunch of, for the most part, other guys, it's like another locker room in some ways compared to sports. And, you know, but during that time, he was exposed to a lot of traumatic situations, you know, mm. accidents, fires. He was in the recovery efforts for 9-11 afterwards. Oh, so wow. I know there's more of an effort, more of an awareness these days about first responders and how more first responders, especially firefighters, are dying by suicide rather than dying by line of duty deaths yeah, because of the grind, the emotional toll that comes with that profession. We had a, a service for my brother after he died and it's, I'm not exaggerating a few thousand people wow. came wow. through for hours and it, in our local newspaper, it was the front, one of the front stories on the paper. Like there's, Tens, if not hundreds of people, my brother could turn to. And I also, being a psychologist and being his brother, I was aware that he was quote unquote not himself and was sort of withdrawing. And I spoke to him 
a few months before he died about suicide. I asked him about it directly and I expressed my concern for him. And I was, you know, I wish I could remember exactly how that conversation went, but it, it was something that like he wasn't, he felt alone, but he wasn't alone. And I, I that's one of the things about um, suicide that maybe people miss is, you know, somebody could have, the perfect job or the perfect family or the perfect whatever. Um, and this comes up when celebrities end their life that people are confused. Like, well, well they had everything. It's like, well, it doesn't have anything to do with that. Right. I think all of us, and I say this on Twitter quite a lot, that human suffering is ubiquitous. Like all of us here on this call are suffering in some way, like anxiety, depression, adjustment. There's things going on in our lives. Our brain right. just works that way. Like these, these things are, are natural and yet nobody, no one really talks about it. And especially with social media, you mentioned earlier that there's this facade of here's what I'm doing. Here's my day. Here's this cool stuff. And I don't think that many people are genuine exactly because everyone's cultivating an image. And right. I think that makes all of us, it just makes everything skewed, which I, I think the stigma of actually going to, therapy or talking to your doctor or reaching out to a friend is something that I just would like people to do more often. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, did your, did your brother continue playing, you know, in a, in a Dungeons and Dragons setting after his youth, uh, as you went through, through college and firefighting as you, as you were describing? He, he would make fun of all my nerdy interests. He was, <laughs> he's the one that got you into it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Begrudgingly. He was very much, into athletics so he he played football he had a scholarship for football then he had a scholarship for baseball and then even in like city or county leagues he was a pitcher he played flag football watched golf and sports and stuff all the time Uh, I think he kind of lost the attention span to play video games because we used to play like NHL 95 and have Mm. shouting matches about those (laughs) which were fun and but even that kind of went on and then he you know, got married, had children and I moved away from New Jersey. So anytime we got to see each other, it was more of just a like catching up celebration, getting together with friends. And uh, he's definitely missed. Have you, uh, I mean, so have, have you found solace in being able to, to, you know, jump into, you know, things like gaming and Dungeons and Dragons. So it's kind of going back to human suffering to be very honest. It's a, it's a mixed bag. It's, you know, I like, I like playing D and D it's certainly a hobby. I enjoy, I I like writing about it. I like talking to people about it. And at the same time, there's this approach avoidance thing that I think goes on with a lot of people where, especially running a game, it takes effort. And the longer, I, I guess the closer it gets to a game, the more inclined I am to just want to cancel it <laughs> mm. because it feels like, oh, I don't know if I have the energy. I don't know if I'm going to entertain people enough. Uh, maybe I just postpone and we'll play again in two weeks or another month. And I think I did that for quite a while. Like the year after he, he died, I don't think we, I played all that much. And lately I've been making more of an effort to kind of plow ahead and, engage in activities and do, do the stuff I enjoy because I know it makes me feel better. It's 
just actually going forward and doing it, that that's a struggle, I think, for all of us. Yeah. Where I, whether it's grief, depression, anxiety, I think we tend to hole up and our life gets smaller. And when our life gets smaller, we don't feel that great. And we don't feel that great, we don't do things. And then our life gets smaller and it starts to spiral. Mm-hmm. So one of the proactive things I try to do is stay engaged with people, stay engaged with hobbies, you know, play D&D, uh, have dinner with friends, do those things because I know it's going to improve my mood. It's still, I know on the front end, I'm going to have a lot of anxiety about just actually doing some of those things. It's funny. I mean, I, yeah, I, because I, I, I definitely experience all that as well. Uh, and I wonder... Uh, you know, what, how, why are we wired that way as people? And has that changed uh, culturally over the years? Or has that been something that we sa- see more now just because we're, um, I don't know, the way the culture has, has shifted, right? Or, or are we just getting older? <laughs> is that, is that, yeah, was that our we, parents? Are we, do we want, like, it, it is always seems like my natural instinct is like just to be alone, or, yeah. or you know, but. But you're you're right when you say forcing yourself to do these things or being with people, it, you do feel better. You do. Like, so why do you fight that? I don't know. So, so I think one of those one of the reasons is that you know our brain is quite good at thinking about the worst case scenario. I think it's a survival mechanism. We just kind of think about well, what's the worst that can happen, and then we rehearse that, and it just gets louder and louder. And we're maybe not so talented as thinking about what's the best case scenario or even what's a neutral scenario that might happen here. And even today coming on this podcast, there's, for me, I think I made a comment to a friend yesterday. I was like, I'm pretending that I'm not nervous <laughs> because I'm, you know, I'm really excited about this opportunity, really thrilled to, to meet with to meet with you both. Um, and at the same time, there's quite a bit of, you know, nerves. And I think that is, is quote unquote normal. Um, and I think just it's normal for people to go through that type of um, anxiety or, or negative thoughts. Um, is it amplifying? I, I, I think just the speed of our culture and like the social media stuff, it's, it's almost like there's not a lot of time to reflect or work on these things. And just, I, I mean, I'm a big advocate for everyone getting involved in mental health. And I have a therapist. I I talk about that very openly. Um, I think everybody can benefit from therapy. And I don't think you have to be severely depressed or struggling with a substance use problem. I I think there's just normal day-to-day, you put normal in quotes, day-to-day adjustment that mental health providers can help with, whether that's poor sleep or something going on with diabetes management or Mm, mm. whether it's kind of moderate symptoms of depression. Like there's there's providers, there's a whole trained industry of providers that can help with that. And I think it's too difficult and too stigmatized for folks to get that care. Yeah. And that's something that I'd like to change. And I, I want to go back to something that you said a little bit, you know, about, about, about getting, you know, nervous leading up to big events, not even big events, but just, you know, you know, uh, quote unquote, normal events, you know, like, like being, uh, uh, coming on here is a big event. Don't yeah. Well, that's true. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I think I really want to talk about that because I, I experienced that all the time, uh, uh, about, you know, pretty much everything, <laughs> you know, uh, from, from doing, you know, an episode, uh, of this 
podcast to, uh, you know, getting up in front of people, just you know, even if it's five or six people in the meeting, um, you know, sometimes that is super nerve wracking for me just leading up to that or, you know, on a, on a greater, greater scale, like planning events or stuff for Dungeons and Dragons. Like it's, it's this constant anxiety and, and, uh, fear that anything that you're doing is, is not going to be good or, or, or well. And, and I think it is true that our mind focuses on the worst case scenario a lot, you know, and it's not even like a specific worst case scenario. It's just like the, the, uh, the negative emotions can be something that we just latch onto instead of, well, how good is it going to feel when it's done? Or when, when you are proud of yourself or like, you know, hey, you're doing great work. And even if it doesn't work out exactly the way you're uh, imagining it, you've, you've done it. You've created something. You're, you're, you're making things. And, um, you know, I, I think that's something that's very important for people to, to latch onto because, you know, there's, there's so much amplification of, of the potential negatives that can come out in your life rather than mentally amplifying the 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 you know, best case scenarios out there. I just, I don't know. I really thought that was a good point. So I want to make sure I, I lasered on that. Yeah. And it brings up something that I sometimes talk about quite often with the, the patients I work with, um, the, the fight or flight response, which you guys are probably familiar with, like our brain mm. protects ourselves from threats mm. and the brain does a good job of that. So whenever our brain perceives a threat, it sort of snaps into gear and mobilizes us to respond to either fight back against that threat or run away. So heart rate goes up, blood pressure goes up, we might start sweating, muscles get tense, we start breathing more shallow. All these systems in our body get activated, which if you're in a life or death situation, that's wonderful. That's incredibly adaptive. The flip side of that, and I think this is especially true for individuals like my brother who have been exposed to a lot of traumatic situations, is that response can almost like the knob gets turned up and then it breaks off where it just comes on too quick or it stays on and it won't go off where, you know, you're constantly in this high tension uh, mode and you can't relax. You can't slow down. You can't calm down and you can't, you're not a good problem solver when that happens. So uh, the, (laughs) the bad thing is with our, with our brain sometimes like, our brain is not a good judge of what is a realistic threat or unrealistic threat. So we're all sitting here right now. We're in different states, different climates, although your climate's getting closer <laughs> to mine right now. <laughs> not that different. Not that different. <laughs> so any one of us at the moment could start thinking about something that happened five years ago that was very like dangerous or traumatic or think about something that might happen five months from now. And our brain will start to respond as if it's happening in the moment. Um, so the reason I think that's good awareness is just to know like what your brain's doing and that it is possible to learn skills to sort of take the steering wheel back from your brain and start driving that bus again. So mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. things like deep breathing and other th- skills you can learn in therapy, like these are things that we, they're tools that we know are useful for Yeah, living, those are life well. skills. Like, like you were saying, like you don't have to be suffering from substance abuse or deep depression like these are valuable life skills that you're going to need yeah and i have a, a son who's two and i just really wish like in grade school and high school and just everyone yeah. learned these everyone should learn this stuff there should just be a mental health class that everyone learns and you yeah or, or part of health class which right. is usually just focused on you know make making sure you eat healthy foods and 
exercise. You had a much different health class than I had. Right. Well, and that was in seventh grade. Yeah. <laughs> but my my son has been uh, very anxious lately. He's had mm. a lot of, of symptoms of anxiety that have just flared up. And we got him this book that is, it's for kids. He's only five, but mm. it talks about... Um, anxiety and in, in a very kid-friendly way. But when I was reading it to him, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. And they right. talk about the fight or flight and how like your brain gets trapped in that feeling. Something little happens and it triggers it. And then you're kind of like stuck in this big worrying mode. And the the book is called Hey Warrior. I don't know okay. if you're familiar with that one, but it's an excellent book if anyone has a child who's who's got some anxiety issues. But um, it tells you to name to give that 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 thing a name and then mm-hmm. when you feel it coming up you can say oh hey bob i'm actually fine like i'm i'm just walking to school there's nothing going on here but thanks for checking on me and then kind of like putting it in the back of your mind like recognizing it exists for a reason and it's helpful when you need it but sometimes it might bob might think you need him and you really don't uh, so it's just putting it in that perspective, even as an adult, I'm like I, I get that. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. I, I, it just makes it, it's so much more sense. It's and, like that meme of, uh, of not today, Satan. Like I get what you're, yes. I get, I get what you're yeah. trying to do, yep. but not, nope. Can't deal with the, with that anxiety today. today. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for looking out for me. So I don't yeah, know. And I've even done that in, in sessions with patients of, well, describe your anxiety or describe your depression. What does it look like? How heavy yeah. is it? What color is it? What does it sound like? And making it more tangible because once it's tangible, it's like, oh, okay, I can deal with that. Yeah. But mm-hmm. if it's just this nebulous thing that's all encompassing, um, then it doesn't seem like there's a way out. And I is think, there? Yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say. I mean, we we've said it a few times in describing this of like you know a literal demon. You know, like oh, you're 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 dealing with the demons that are within. Is there something to that? They're like, you know, like even putting it in D and D terms, like can you actually battle and and kind of you know bring down those feelings, or is those is that kind of way of thinking not the what, what you'd suggest? Now I'm thinking of like warlocks and possession. And- yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I th- this idea of I mean, some of the language we use with mental health is interesting. I mean, even even referring to depression, anxiety as as demons. And I think, I mean, I do that. And I even sometimes slip into, I try to avoid the word crazy because we don't, we don't talk about cancer that way. We don't say like, oh, he, we don't use cancer as this negative term in other situations that often. You can say like, oh, he, like I'm thinking of sports, like, you know, he's a cancer on that team. Like, yeah, I guess sometimes we do, but uh, (laughs) a little bit, but some of the mental health terms, I think just the way we use language, again, it stigmatizes like this experience is if it's something other than what normally happens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the most part, you know, people go on about their lives, they're doing the best they can. Um, you know, to bring it back to my brother, like he, he was going through um, some marriage issues, some things at work changed, schedule changed. Like there were numerous stressors that got loaded onto his plate over the span of like, 18 months that it was just one thing after the other. And there's thousands of my brothers out there that, that this is, that this is happening to. I mean, suicide rates are, are up. I think a lot of people are, are struggling. And if you want to call it demons or 
just not having an infrastructure for for good healthcare, good support. I, I think it's helpful if one, if we all just kind of consider like everybody we walk past during the day has something going on. Like right. They're, they're struggling with something. They're probably in their own head about something that is a worry or a fear to bring it back to anxiety of, you know, what, what's the fear. And, right. you know, for my brother, I think I never was inside his head and feel like I had a good understanding of after I wrote about 60,000 words about why he died and which I haven't posted. It's just an exercise I did for myself. Um, but I, I think he felt like there was an element of failure in his life that he couldn't bear any longer. And suicide feels like a solution. And I think that's the issue again with suicide of like, well, why do people make this decision? It's just, it's to end that suffering. It's because life is too painful. And that is something that's hard for those of us who have not been in that position to really fathom. And one of the things I just want to mention, and I've mentioned this on my podcast before, is that if you do have someone, friend, family, coworker, acquaintance, someone that you maybe are concerned about, you are not going to put suicide in their head by asking them, are you having some suicidal thoughts? What's going on? Or you seem really depressed. How are you doing? Like, no one is going to hear that and say, oh, I was <laughs> I fine. thought of that. <laughs> but now that you bring that up, I think, yeah, that, that's it. So this right don't 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 feel like just mentioning it is something that's going to conjure it up it's not an actual exactly. demon in that way <laughs> yeah no, no you're not going to you're not going to saying it's true name doesn't give its power or anything no like that charisma check or anything <laughs> where you're going to persuade someone to uh, to do that right uh, so so, so yeah. i mean maybe this is a good transition into i think what, what could be a good final point here is like what do we do um for for folks that we might see or experience or even be in our gaming group with us that might be having some of these thoughts, you know, what, what are the ways that uh, uh, we can help and be the healer and try to, to, you know, get those, get those thoughts out of there or, or, you know, talk about those thoughts in a way that's productive. Yeah. And I certainly am not advocating for everyone to, to go out there and try to be, um, you know, pop culture psychologist or anything like that. Um, But people are aware of their friends, their family's behavior and you might have a sense of, oh, I haven't heard from this person for a while, or they don't answer texts as quickly, or, you know, they've been to the last couple sessions, but they've just been a little sullen or withdrawn. And I think there's this general sense of what I call diffusion of responsibility, where you just assume somebody else will ask those questions mm. and provide support or take care of that person. Uh, so I would say, don't do that. I would, <laughs> you know, don't be afraid. Don't be hesitant to check in with someone, you know, provide outreach. There's been research that shows that, you know, just outreaching to people can prevent some of these suicides. Suicides are preventable. There are things that we can do uh, to, to help. I don't, I don't even say individuals because that sounds blaming to just kind of help society deal with this uh, more effectively. Um, so don't assume that someone else is going to be the one that pulls someone aside or checks in. And be willing to ask about it directly, even to say something as simple as like, hey, I, I noticed uh, you've been really quiet lately or withdrawn. How are you doing? Are you okay? And mm-hmm. 
that is something that can be really powerful just for someone to know that other people are noticing and you know, you're willing to provide support there. Um, that's a, a big thing. And, you know, another thing is, again, to advocate, I think everyone should have a counselor. So, you know, talk to your primary care doctor if you have one. Uh, sometimes there's a therapist or a social worker even in that clinic. Otherwise, they can refer you to somebody uh, within their system, depending on insurance and all that. Uh, if you're listening to this at a college or university, there's university counseling centers, college counseling centers. I used to be an intern at one um, and did that early, earlier in my career. So there are resources for support. Um, just Googling depression and trying to get some strategies there. I think you'll probably see some useful material, but not so much depending on what you click on. So uh, be, be willing to talk to a professional for, for support and assistance. And I guess the other thing is I'll end on is just don't assume the person's going to get over it. Right. Like, like, Oh, they're going through this situation. Like, yeah, it's been rough, but they'll bounce back. They always have. Um, Cause sometimes they don't. And it's, you know, being psychologists, we have a good sense of risk factors of suicide. Mm -hmm. We're not good at predicting who's going to make that decision. So just don't assume that the person that has been in your thoughts or like, oh, I kind of worry about them, that they're going to magically bounce back. Um, you know, be willing to put in a little bit of effort to, to check in with someone. And speaking of effort, when you're depressed, it's really hard to engage with treatment. It's again, yeah. it takes energy and some motivation and some hope that treatment's even going to make a difference. Um, so to engage with that person and try to help them get connected to what they need, you know, maybe it's even driving them to the doctor or, you know, doing something else more proactive to, to get involved. Yeah. And I mean, it's something that, you know, personally, there was definitely a few points in the, you know, the last few months where I'm like, yeah, I should, I should talk to someone. I should have a, a counselor or a therapist. Um, and one thing that I struggled with was, was who, who do I call first? Like, I, okay, I've made the, the, the leap of like, okay, I need to talk to someone. Yes. But I, I had no idea where to start. I had no idea where to begin that process, you know, whether, and so, you know, is there a, is there a good in, you know, you mentioned a few, but like, you know, what, what would you recommend to people to, to, you know, I mean, within way health insurance works now and all that stuff, it's like, it can be difficult to, to find that first step. And I, I would say that probably the most direct line that's applicable to everyone is if you do have a physician to contact that clinic and ask about, is there a mental health provider that you rec that, are, that is in the clinic or that you recommend um, calling your insurance company, your provider that, you know, what I, I want to meet with someone. Is there someone in my network? Like, uh, it's, it's way more complicated than it should be. Right. That's um, what I'm getting to. <laughs> again, you could, you could go into Google and put in your zip code and say, find a therapist. And there's websites out there that do that. Right. Um, you know, therapy, like the health insurance system, there's different tiers and levels and, and all that. Um, yeah, you almost wish there was a website that was like, just get help, uh, yes. and then, you know, so that well, you could press that button and it would, it would, it would occur. I mean, obviously there's things like suicide prevention hotlines and things yes. like that, which might also be, them. Yeah. yeah. 
suicide prevention hotlines, there's people that are there 24 hours a day. Uh, they have a chat-based system. I think they have text now. So if there's oh, that's if good. for help, um, that's something that you can get. There's the, the suicide hotline number. But if you're looking to get connected with, with treatment, like I said, I think going through your, your primary care doctor, mm-hmm. uh, your physician, and, and starting there. And they should be able, in combo, if you need to start checking with your insurance, those two sources are, I would think, the easiest thing to do. Makes sense. Well, it's been really great talking to you, Michael. Uh, uh, I am glad that we get to to expound about these issues because it's 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 hard out there. And I think we've seen, as I said before, that there's an uptick in people talking about it in the D and D community, at least on on social media that I've seen. And I think that's good. I think more people should engage with that. There's a few organizations uh, that I want to give quick shout outs to. I don't know if uh, you know uh, uh, the Take This organization for for gaming. Uh, you know, Doctor B, we've had on the yep. podcast before. He's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, our uh, community manager, Satine Phoenix, has been working with uh, um, someone for Jasper's Game Day, which is a, a, a you know a, a 16 year old uh, named Fenway Jones, who uh, her, her gaming partner um, you know passed away by suicide uh, recently, and she's been trying to uh, drive as much uh, notice about all this that's happening. And of course, you have your your own fundraiser for um, the. I, I'm going to get the name of the wrong the. American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Thank you. Uh, yes. and, and your monster book, uh, No Assembly Required, just seems like a great way to, you know, for D&D fans to, you know, engage with this, get the monsters that you need, you know, to, to make your, your games even that much better, but then also uh, have that uh, proceeds go to a good cause and, and get the word out about, about this. Yeah, yeah and it was, it was really fun to revisit those, those monsters because I enjoyed creating them during fourth edition. Mm-hmm. One is based on Tim Tebow. Which <laughs> I really remember him. Enjoyed. Yeah, yes. I remember him back, back in like 2012 or so. Like when you first. Be- him. I hope he's. Yeah, okay. I, I I can tell you how he's doing because oh. he is now playing baseball. Oh, yeah. for my hometown's team for the Binghamton? Binghamton Mets. No way! Yeah. I remember when he got into the the the, the minor league system there. Yeah, he's that's a, crazy. He's, he's a Binghamton Met, and he's engaged to like Miss Universe, so he's fine. Good for Tebow. Uh, I hope yeah. so. I hope so. so I enjoy, I mean, it was I mean, like, as someone who's gone through a whole bunch of, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily say trauma, but definitely not had ups the... Ups and downs. Ups sure. and downs, right? Yep. Like, probably not okay, actually, at some point. So, like, even yes. in the context of this conversation, yes. you know, we, we like to assume that everything is, is peaches well, for yeah, them. yeah, if you're a celebrity and, or a professional athlete and you have a lot of money, clearly you don't have depression, anxiety, yeah. a negative thought ever. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're fine. I mean, Michael Phelps was in the news previously, and he's the most successful Olympian ever. Yeah. And, you know, he had pretty significant depression and was open about that. Um, so, yeah, I, it's, it's not, <clears throat> it doesn't choose. It just, it's everybody. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. And at I mean, one time or another, you're probably going to experience depression or anxiety. And even at times of your most uh, successful, uh, yes. I, I would listen to, it's a wonderful podcast uh, called Heavyweight, but there's the episode uh, that deals with Moby, the, the artist from, yeah. from the 90s. And uh, he comes on and, and basically, frankly, says like, you know, you think I'm I'm this successful, crazy person. I was at some MTV awards thing at this top of this hotel in in Barcelona, uh, you know, literally on top of the world uh, in the 90s where there, you couldn't turn on the radio without having one of his songs being played. Sure. And he, he basically said, like, I was at my worst, like I was at the top of that hotel and I was I was about to to go out the window. 
uh, of that hotel room. And you're like, Oh, I, I, you know, that's, that's something that we don't think about, but it is very much a problem that is anybody as, as you just said, it does not choose. No, I, I I actually liked that phrase that you just said. It does not choose. Yeah. And so if people want to, you know, support the, the charity effort that we're putting together, like I said, the, the monsters are really great. There's uh, good art. I wrote a lot about what went into the development of each monster. There's a dragonborn pirate that I shared on Twitter as a preview. I love that guy. Uh, he's been in a, in my campaign in the past. Um, so it's the book's called no assembly required. You can purchase it at limitless adventures.com. And they have a lot of other great fifth edition content, some really cool stuff to check out. And it, it's $5. It all goes to suicide prevention. Andy and I, who helped me create the book, we, we don't see a penny of that. We don't want a penny of that. Um, we're just excited to be putting this out here uh, to generate conversation like this. And you know, on my podcast, I've interviewed someone from AFSP, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and she educated me and the listeners about where that money goes. So mm-hmm. they put it into awareness, education programs for, for youth, uh, other volunteer activities, uh, and advocacy to change some of these laws, to advocate for policy in the healthcare system that makes it easier. So your question earlier about, well, how do I find a counselor isn't so complicated. Mm, good. And, you know, they're really doing great work. And there's a host of other organizations to, that you can get involved with locally or donate to. Um, but be willing to have the conversation. Be willing to ask that first question. Uh, that's probably the biggest take-home Message. Just like me, just like me and Shelly were to talk to talk to have this conversation with you. So thank you yeah. for, uh, for for uh, coming on and talking about all this. And what about you? Yeah, and putting it out there on a regular yeah. basis. So yeah. Speaking of putting it out there, where can people find out about? Uh, you know, we mentioned it a few times, but you know, where you are on 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 social media and and Twitter and and post and 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 your podcast. Yeah. So you can find probably the easiest way to get in touch with me is uh, on Twitter. I'm at the id dm t h e i d dm so i had created that account back in the fourth edition days where everyone was the something dm um oh, right so, and I, dm and all yeah DM exactly. and yeah there's a lot of dms out there so i was excited to find uh the wordpress site and the twitter handle that all matched up and the gmail account that all matched up so and it was really short because character limits back then I was <laughs> I was very concerned about. So uh, plus, uh, if you say it quick, it sounds like idiom, which I enjoyed. Oh, yeah. Reminds me of Monty Python. So yes, the IDM, <laughs> uh, you can find my blog where I you know post links to the podcast and uh, other articles that I'm writing, uh, the idm.wordpress.com. And the podcast is on um, iTunes, on Podbean and you can find it. It's Ego Check with the IDM. Uh, Greg has been on in the past. Uh, we were talking about, I believe the question we got rolling on was, what is D&D? And you, <laughs> had a, you had a really fascinating answer to that. Wow. <laughs> now listen to this. I know. I think, I think it was, that might have been the genesis or around the time when we were talking about how D&D is uh, such a primal thing. We've been t- coming around uh, a fire or a, you know, a group and telling stories together since since we were humans, it might even be the thing that makes us humans. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's what a lot of the articles I've been you know, writing about over the years is just D and D as a game. I always think of it as you're, it's a bunch of individuals sitting around a table, having a conversation. 
mm-hmm. and all the interesting dynamics that go back and forth are just fascinating to me. And on top of that, you have this interesting story that's playing out and there's game mechanics. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of things that can be useful from a psychological mental health perspective of how to do that well, of how yeah. to improve that. And I think part of it is certainly kind of making sure everyone at the table is engaged and okay and wants to be there and is feeling healthy. Right. Uh, so not that we're everyone else's keeper, but you know, we should be trying to take care of each other. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Be, be the healer or the paladin in your, in your, in your group. The real life cleric. Yes. Excellent. Thank you again, uh, Michael. You're amazing. Uh, I love all the work that you're doing. And uh, we, uh, yeah, we, we, we will hopefully talk more about, um, you know, how to, how to battle the, the, the actual demons and or devils yes. within. Both kinds of demons. <laughs> exactly. Uh, extraplanar beings in general. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much. That was a wonderful discussion. I really uh, am grateful to for Michael to coming on and uh, uh, talking with us about uh, his experiences. I think it's 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 really important. I agree. It's it's important to talk about. I'm glad we did that. And I learned a lot myself, actually. Yeah, um, and uh, it's something that uh, you know I have over the last few months been you know struggling thinking about professional life as well as personal life and all that. And uh, definitely hearing other folks in the community talking about uh, their experiences and, and their own anxieties and things like that has been really helpful. Uh, and it helps and I think, so much. Yeah, because you realize you're not alone. You're not, you know, I think that's a lot that d- depression and anxiety and, and, and all of the above. Um, can make you feel like is that you're you're you've got you know it's just you against the world or something like that and uh, I'm I'm really hoping that folks uh, listen to the conversation that we just had with Michael and uh, you know kind of realize that it's it's you know you, you you get stronger it's like any good D and D party you get stronger by depending on your um, compatriots to to lift you up just like you you and me and Ashley. lift you up lift yes. us up where we are. <laughs> That's what we are here for. Do you see? You could only see this. My my throat muscles were really contracting a lot during that. Because you're giving it your all. (laughs) My one hundred and fifty percent. One hundred and fifty percent. It's amazing. And also, uh, Michael's fundraiser, his his uh, the book that he is is, has published that he's dedicating all of the proceeds to is also a very worthy cause. And you get ten really cool monsters. To boot yeah for five right? months can't go wrong helping. so monsters for help <laughs> that's, we should come up with a book that's monsters for help and monsters uh, for help get it out there uh helping uh, uh the all the fun stuff um so you know obviously i mean i think uh this is something that we sometimes forget about uh, as being as close as we are to the gaming industry. But uh, when we had um, John Darniel from the Mountain Goats here, he said something in that interview um, that kind of really struck a nerve for me. And that is the fact that people playing games has, uh, you know, imp- improved so many people's lives, you know, whether it be, you know, tabletop RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons or board games or yeah. even you know, online play with video games. Um, you know, I think I think games serve a really vital part um, in making people feel connected and not alone uh, with their with their folks out there, so uh, you know, 
we continue always to get the good word about what Dungeons and Dragons and the benefits that it can do for people. But you know, it can it can even even help uh, in regards to this conversation. Absolutely, yeah. Right. I mean, I have been unhappy that you and I, Shelley, have not been able to continue our betrayal legacy game. Seriously, because we haven't. Every Monday, it snows. <laughs> this, this is a trend now. We will never get out of it. Every Monday now. Game? Is this part of the legacy campaign? Is this it? <laughs> Can what Rob are you Daddy doing, Rob? <laughs> How did he know? How did he make this happen? How did he write those those components to get printed so that they would be here this winter? Oh, it's amazing. I know. It's hard. It's very it's very difficult. I guess we could have. I should have brought the game home and we could be doing it right now. I guess that's true. Zoom. We have to, yeah, yeah. We'd have to get Nathan and Oh, we could have done it through Zoom. I guess that's exactly. true. Exactly. Oh, I'm liking But, but then I would have been the only one who got to rip things up. And that's true. Would I have been able to eat the things? things? No, you wouldn't. I'd have to put them in the in the post for you. And then you would get them in three days. <laughs> in the post. In the post. Oh man. I love that Shelly turned into a robot, Shelly, just then. The post. Our mailman is actually just an angry, angry, angry man. He was not happy that people were not. He people were not. I shoveled, but uh, other people did not. Because you were worried about the liability from the from the shoveling, I hear. Exactly, and it was also the only. Like any good northeasterner should be. Yeah. (laughs) That was your that was your workout. You got your steps in. Squat. Excellent. Throw. Yeah. It's a good workout. All right. Let's just, let's just, let's just end this. Let's just close it up. Everybody. Thank you so much for uh, paying uh, attention to all of us for all this time. Uh, You're all good people. Uh, If people want to get in touch with you, Shelly, how could they do so by not breathing into the microphone? Um, You can find How can they get in touch with you, Shelly? Can you, can. Uh, (laughs) on, On Twitter. At Shelly Moo um, or Avalon Hill, you can and follow Avalon Hill and get more information on all the cool things happening there at Avalon Hill too, as in the number two. Or uh, both of us are also on Facebook. And, you and of course, if you want to follow me, I'm at Greg Tito, also at Greg Tito underscore Tito, at Greg underscore Tito uh, on the Instagrams. But you don't care about us. You want to find out about all of the fun Dungeons and Dragons things that are going on. And the best way that you can do that is using the Dragon Plus app that is available on Android and iOS. New articles and previews about what's coming for Dungeons and Dragons as well as our uh, partner products like WizKids or uh, some of the fun video games that are out there like Neverwinter or Idle Champions of the Forgotten Realms. You can find out all about those products on Dragon Plus um, delivered to your phone every two months if you uh, are able to get, uh, you know, you just don't happen to have a phone, for example, you can uh, get all that content on dragonmag.com. And of course, dungeonsanddragons.com. Look for that uh, for any big announcements that may be coming in the near future. How's that sound? Beautiful. It's too much. It's too much. Shelly, uh, I think I think we got to close out this uh, snow. I think that we are like, we are like snowed in the brain. Snowed in the brain. All right. Thank you, guys. Uh, let's have these rocks fall on us and uh, along with the avalanche of snow that's been jumping on Seattle. Yeah, that's probably Blah. more like it. Blah.